Curses. So, curses. What do you think of curses as a device? Oh, I think they're great. At least in horror movies. Um, they, You know, it's like you get to see the character tortured a little, and then you get to see them overcome their their curse there's like a mythos behind it and yeah i get into curses but you know what i think i think that curses actually have the same function whether it's a romance comedy or it's a horror movie it's always to teach the person who's cursed a lesson yes people need to be taught lessons and the only people to do it are witches and (laughs) Um, is it racist that, that, that gypsies are often portrayed in movies as being curse givers? Um, maybe. <laughs> gypsies weigh in. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> My big fat gypsy curses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Drag Me to Hell is very characterized. A, a lot of it is very cliche and, and charactered. Just like the old gypsy woman said. This is Necromancer. I'm Shira. I'm a romance comedy fan. I'm Brett. I'm a horror fan. What do we do here, Brett, at Necromancer? Oh, well, each week we pick a movie from our respective genres, and then we sort of review and recap the movie, and then we remix the movie. Ooh, what does Um, that entail? So we take the rom-com, we turn it into a horror, and we take the horror and we turn it into a rom-com. I feel like curses are always meant to teach people lessons. I have a, I have a good hypothetical for you. Uh, what kind of curse would you want to be cast on you to teach you a lesson? Oh, hmm. I don't... I feel like I'm already pretty cursed. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you walk over a grave just like wrong? Yeah, I, like... <laughs> I stepped on one too many cracks. Um, I don't like. I feel like I have like a Larry David esque social anxiety curse that um, you know, like overthinking every situation and trying to like you know, create these little white lies just to cover up these minor things that don't really need to be covered up. Ooh, so do you think you could be, you would be hit by a truth curse where you have to tell the truth or speak what's on your mind even though you don't want to? I would hate that. (laughs) You know what's interesting is, and now I remembered what I actually wanted to talk about earlier, was even though I had a shit ton of confidence about my remixes this week, I ended up actually struggling with them a little. And it's because when I was thinking about remixing it and still having a curse element, I Mm. thought about a truth curse and I was like, shit, that's been done way too many times. Like Liar Liar, Yes Man, whatever, all Jim Carrey movies. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But but like it's been done so many times before. I'm like, there's really not that many original ways to curse people. Like the number day curses are definitely popular among the horror movies. Like in um, 
what's the movie? The where Ring. The Ring, yeah, yeah, yeah where yeah. it's like seven days. Right. You have seven days, so like time limit curses are big on horror. Yeah. And I find it interesting, like the other cursed movie I could think of on the horror side was um, Thinner, which is right. also eating disorder themed. Another overeater is cursed by a gypsy woman. Yeah, uh, I don't think I ever saw that one. I think I'm, I read some of the book. It's a Stephen King yeah, book, right? Yeah, it's a Stephen King story. Oh, the movie is so corny, though. Yeah, and I think at the time I really wanted to see it, but I was a kid and my parents were like, I don't know if you should be watching this kind of movie. And then they watched it before I did, you know, to like test out the movie, see if it was too scary. And I was like, so how was the movie? Can I watch it? Can I watch it? And they were just like, it's not good. Like, oh, you so don't they, they want to. They didn't actually say it was too scary. They were like, they, oh, they were pretty not. much like, you, you could watch it, but why would you? Yeah. And I was like, all right. So I just never, never watched it. Never went back and revisited that one. <laughs> I feel like on on the romance side, the curses tend to fall on vain people. Mm-hmm. Like I think Penelope definitely has to do with the the curse of of vanity of not loving someone beyond their appearance, right. or uh, in what women want and what men want. You know, they're cursed with the knowledge to hear what the opposite sex thinks. And it totally has to do with their vanity and self-centeredness. Like, it's always, I feel like, a relationship problem that needs to be solved by a romantic comedy curse. Like, you need to be punished for something bad you've done to other people. (laughs) Sure. Uh, What was it? Shallow Hale? Oh, yeah. Because he's... Was that Jack Black? Exactly. Jack Black is vain. And in order to unlearn his vanity, he's cursed. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It seems to be a a fun setup. I like it. I think one of the reasons I've decided I I like curses both for horror and for romance has to do with once you introduce the idea that curses are possible in your world, then it's like you can throw out a bunch of rules as well where it's like, okay, curses are possible in this world. So anything, like a number of other things can be possible as well. Like sort of the the way that Penelope is kind of aesthetically heightened. You right. said it reminded you of like Amelie, Oof. for example. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> I, I can tell that, that I, I've decided, I, I've started to figure out that one of the things you dislike in a movie is whimsy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a whimsy hater. <laughs> I guess I'm trying to think of like if there's an equivalent to it that I do like I don't know like Hannah Hannah is like an a, almost like a whimsy it's kind a fairy of a tale. yeah like an action movie and you but, like running scared that's a fairy tale yeah. too but yeah, I mean yeah, I guess yeah. those aren't as whimsical because they're kind of more hard bitten right what about like a Wes Anderson movie yeah, I mean, I like Wes Anderson, but he's not, you know, he doesn't speak to me in the same way that he Sam can't. Raimi speaks to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, there's a little bit of whimsy with Sam Raimi, too. Right. Um, but, but yeah, like, the, once you introduce the idea that curses are allowed in your world, the way that you can heighten reality and bend the rules is much more interesting if the threat is completely realistic. 
or right. the premise is based in reality. If it's magical realism, all bets are off. Yeah. Yeah, I like starting out. It's kind of like the Hitcher. Um, like, I like starting out with something crazy. Like, in the Hitcher, the Hitcher starts out with Rutger Hauer almost killing C. Thomas Howell right away. There's no question. He's like, I'm a bad guy. I'm going to kill you. Uh, so for curses, it's like, there's no way out of this. It's like, no, you're going to be cursed. So now what can we do to escalate that curse? Right. And And then you just get to have fun with that premise and sort of like keep throwing hurdles at your main character and kind of like seeing what they can overcome. And yeah, it's, I like escalation in movies. I do too. Yeah. It, it, it. I don't know, it moves everything along much more quickly because the external conflict, there's so many rules around it. Always curses have rules. Oh, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, how do you play the game and win? Yeah. All right, so let's let's get into Penelope. This is actually the first time I saw this movie. It's it's a favorite of of friends and, and friends of friends, so I knew I wanted to watch it at some point. Like, I could have chosen... Like I mentioned earlier, you know, what women want or what men want. Um, But I decided to do this one because it's, you know, a more traditional fairy tale style curse. Right. Uh, And I I really enjoyed it, actually. (laughs) I know you probably... Okay, just tell me flat out. You just... Uh. No, it, it wasn't it wasn't as torturous as Amelie was to me. Like I don't I still don't know. I've seen that movie three times and every time I just cannot get into it. But Penelope, it wasn't bad. It just was like just felt really bland to me. It was yet another movie like Amelie where the the main two love interests spend most of the movie apart. I wonder though if that's because of editing, because apparently the European release of this movie was 108 minutes and then they trimmed it down to 90 minutes or something or 88 minutes for right. the for the US release so that they could release it as PG instead of what in Europe it was rated higher or right. something. So I wonder if in those 20 minutes that were cut, they spent more time together. Maybe. Yeah, because the movie seems much more concerned with building the world around Penelope than actually establishing a relationship between Penelope and, what's his name, Max, but really Johnny. Slash Johnny, (laughs) yes. So why don't we get into the recap? Tell us the story of Penelope. Well, once upon a time, a super rich guy falls in love with one of his servants. But upon telling his family of the relationship, he is laughed at until he gives in and marries someone of more suitable social status instead. The servant, now heartbroken, belly flops herself off a cliff. And as a result, her mother, the town witch, puts a curse on the family. The next daughter born will have the face of a pig, and the only way to uncurse her will be to have um, to have her have the love of a blue blood. Well, specifically the words of the curse that is that she needs to be loved by, by one her, of, her, one own of her own kind. Right. Which they interpret to mean blue blood. What is blue blood? I don't Just a, a It's a, like a I think rich, it's person i mean i got so i got fantasy, the context of it but it's a I don't fantasy know world but in the real world context it would actually mean someone of like the peerage 
or like a like a duke or duchess or earl gotcha. or marquis. I think in this world, it just means rich. Right. Gotcha. Um, so generations and one false alarm later, Penelope is born with pointy ears and a little piggy nose. Uh, her mother is super distraught and tries to become overprotective as a result. Uh, and the husband, Franklin, uh, is kind of more... Richard E. Grant yeah, with Richard an American e. accent. <laughs> Um, I think you you name dropped Richard E. Grant in our Texas Chainsaw episode. Was he in there? No, but as a sort of like character actor who could take on the Dennis Hopper role, we oh, were no, talking no, 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 about. No, 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 that was someone else. But oh. but go on. Okay. Um, so the dad is kind of more hands off and kind of more accepts the fate of like, ooh, she's a, an ugly pig child. It's his fault though, right? It's his it family. is. <laughs> uh, Jessica has is trying to keep Penelope hidden, but there's a tabloid reporter named Lemon who is stalking the family and trying to get photos. And uh, he's in a drawer, pops out. Jessica bonks him in the eye, and then he's got an eye patch for the rest of the movie. Uh, so Jessica decides to fake Penelope's death. Cut to basically 18 years later, and Penelope is kind of hidden away in the Another house. Another hostage rom-com. Right. <laughs> Penelope is hidden away in the house, and there's kind of just uh, all these scenes and flashbacks of possible suitors trying to marry her in a very sort of typical dowry arranged marriage type fashion but the moment she reveals herself they always run away there's also a two-way mirror like an interrogation room at a police station which is all right like i i feel like that could have been utilized more but it's kind of just i don't know i really like did you ever see ex machina um no but that's got a good sort of like glass interrogation sexy vibe to it (laughs) um but then vanderman the third uh, is sort of the main villain of the movie because he sees penelope then he goes and he tells the tabloids romance fans will know him as mr bingley in the kiara knightley version of pride and prejudice oh Pride and Prejudice, directed by Joe Wright, who did Hannah. Oh. Wow. Um, And so Vanderman goes to the newspaper and sort of reveals uh, Penelope's existence, but there's no photo, and Lemon wants a photo. So what they decide to do is they decide to get a guy called Max, who's sort of a down-on-his-luck gambler guy who's gambled away all of his money and they bribe him into trying to get photographic evidence of penelope so max spends some time with penelope and kind of comes to like her he likes her like they flirt and and you know she reveals herself to a room full of people who all run away but he never saw her and so it's kind of this like you know flirty relationship and vibe where you know they kind of have a i don't know they do a montage right and so but they don't spend a lot of time together they just spend a little bit of time together um but there's like this cutesy sort of like ooh, i'm gonna guess what instrument he plays and um you know he's singing to her and they're playing chess and all that kind of stuff but 
Max is kind of scared off by the family and the family kind of figures out that he's a spy and all of the... Go ahead. It, well, he accidentally... I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't mean to correct your summary. I'm like, I've got feelings about oh, this. Boy. No. So he, she reveals herself to him. Right. And he is surprised, but he's not like turned off. Right. He doesn't run away like the rest of no, them. No, but then he raises his arm to touch her to like touch her cheek and then he accidentally sets off a picture and that's what gets him running out of the house and getting revealed right so there's sort of like a mishap like in your typical rom-com fashion where he's disgusted by her but he's not really disgusted by her he's trying to protect her it looks like he's disgusted by her but he's not but he's not so Basically, Penelope ends up running away, um, and then she she starts drinking beer out of a straw, which was pretty funny. Um, and she she meets up with um, I don't have her name, but Reese, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, this is the first movie that she produced. Really, this is, this is before before the book club days when Reese was just starting out at the producing game. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, it's a, it seems like a, a Reese Witherspoon kind of like her character and it kind of seems like, yeah, I want to play this character and, you know, I'll produce the movie so I can play her, have some fun riding around on a Vespa. She, like, she picked Christina Ricci for the role. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, Christina Ricci's good in the movie. Yeah. Um, and so, but eventually Penelope takes a picture of herself and sells it to Lemon to get the reward money so that she can sort of sustain herself out in the real world. She's taking control. Right. And so she's taking control of her own fate um, and of her own life. And and instead of the town sort of revolting in horror, she kind of becomes a little bit of a celebrity. And the town loves her. Vanderman comes back and Vanderman is sort of escalating things on his own end and keeps sort of insisting that the that Penelope is this monster pig woman which causes Vanderman's dad to say hey you've got to marry her to to make sure that the town loves you because we're a publicly publicly traded company so Vanderman has to take Penelope up on her sort of marriage dowry offer and then at the wedding, Penelope runs away and ends up accepting herself and fixing her own curse because she's technically one of her own kind. And she loves herself for who she is. Why oh, do you hate she... <laughs> messages of self-love, Brett? So, but then uh, her mom ends up getting cursed because the family butler was really the witch the whole time. And then the mom's voice gets taken away. And then Penelope goes to a party with Reese Witherspoon and she's wearing a Penelope mask. Oh, because she's a big celebrity. Right. And then she ends up meeting up with Johnny, who is a piano guy. and uh, That's his instrument. Right. That's his instrument. And, uh, and then they end up kissing <laughs> and then they fall in love. They were already <laughs> in love, Brett. <laughs> And then it's the end. And then Peter Dinklage has a nice little moment where he's like, I'm going to get a picture of these two lovebirds. And he's like, I'll just let them be. And he rows away on his boat. In a tiny rowboat. I thought that was kind of fucked up they gave him that tiny rowboat. I guess I didn't. I didn't (laughs) 
directly correlate the size of the boat with him. I didn't think about it. I think they thought it would be visually cuter right. to put him in a little rowboat. Maybe. In a one-person rowboat. <laughs> Um, yeah, like so half I don't, a rowboat. I don't, I just, I, I was perplexed by the fact that the first half of this movie, nothing happens. It's all people running away from Penelope and her going, woe is me. And the family kind of saying, we've got to keep you hidden. Yeah, the, there, there was a lot of time cached on the setup. Like right. they really, I, and again, I wonder like how things would have changed if we had that extra 20 minutes. Like, maybe that was like 20 minutes cut out of the middle act where... I could could only assume so. Yeah, where you could have seen a little bit more of Penelope's life as an adult. But, like, I thought that the setup was really fun, though. And, I mean, Catherine O'Hara is probably the best bad mom in Hollywood. (laughs) She's home alone, leaves her kid at home... Beetlejuice, let's Beetlejuice in the house. Right. <laughs> Penelope um, shames her daughter for her appearance, and eventually her voice is taken away. And every scene she's in, I think she plays Catherine O'Hara. That is, I mean, Christina. Don't get me wrong, I love Christina Ricci, um, but Catherine O'Hara, like particularly in the scene where so Peter Dinklage as Lemon is hiding in the cupboard Mm -hmm. waiting to get a picture of Penelope and then she opens the cupboard and she takes his eye and and she just plays that scene perfectly and then when they meet again Mm -hmm. they're they're, the way that they scene chewed with each other I thought was was really really funny and and fun like I don't know this just seems like a movie that just wants to have fun yeah but it doesn't seem like the fun translates onto the screen in the same way that, like, I don't know. The, the first movie that pops into my head is, like, Ocean's Eleven. Where like, you can just tell that they had fun making that movie. Well, it's a caper movie, and they've got that jazzy little theme. This movie just seems like... It just seems like... I don't know. There's the scene where James McAvoy comes in and the camera starts going off. And so he has to like fall on the ground and like fix the camera. And it just all felt awkward. Like there wasn't any real scene to it. It just felt like, eh. That scene was definitely awkward. Um, And I will say, I don't think James McAvoy has bad hair in general, but he has terrible hair in this movie. Yeah, his his shaggy his hair, hair. flop his yeah. hair flop is definitely <laughs> f f class. Like I, I just yeah, you know he he doesn't he's not like what is it we did Tom Cruise man he's got an A class hair flop that's for sure. I don't like and I don't think they needed to style. James McAvoy's hair that way. I think they just were like, you're shabby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they kind of made him more... It was like a mom haircut. Yeah, they kind of made it seem like more boy band, dreamy, bad boy kind of look. Um, I don't know. I could I could envision him being a 
being a boy band bad boy in this movie <laughs> oh he's the bad one like he's not really bad like but like for a too, boy band he's like kind of bad like a little too old for the group right yeah <laughs> um yeah i i don't know maybe i think you just have a really low whimsy tolerance I mean, it could be. I I thought the cast of this movie was great, and Nick I was Frost? Nick Frost was in the movie. He didn't even have a speaking role, and you were just like, Nick Frost is here. <laughs> Apparently, this is Russell Brand's first yeah. acting role. Wow, it's like Russell Brand is here, and it was funny to see. It felt like they made all of the British actors have american accents right. and then they also had random people who also had british accents right. and it didn't make sense and i'm like all right you're already in this fantasy world where the policeman can have a british voice and this one can have a this voice. why not just let everybody talk the way they talk because vanderman yeah. had a british accent he didn't try to it felt a like a very accent. british movie it was filmed in Britain. Yeah. <laughs> and it was filmed at Pinewood Studios, which is the same studio where um, the archers, Michael Powell, shot his movies. Oh. Um, my, I think we've talked about him before. Michael Powell did Peeping Tom. Yeah, we but saw that movie. But he's also done some romance movies as well. And he also did one of my favorite movies, a crazy nun movie. Is that, that what it's called? Um, no, it's not called the Crazy Nun movie. The Crazy Nun movie is called Black Narcissus, and it's okay. it's great. Gotcha. Um, crazy nuns, um, but but yeah, I I like the the kind of magical set design. I felt like it was the same type of city you would see in uh, Shape of Water if you ever saw that movie. Yeah, where everything. But it didn't kind of feel as committed as like I'm not a huge Amelie fan by any means, but Amelie at least felt like okay, they went all in on this aesthetic. Like a mm-hmm. Wes Anderson movie feels like okay, they're going all in on that. Penelope felt more like they half played, committed. They played with it. You know, they dipped their toes in it and they kind of waded into the water slowly whereas a wes anderson or amelie movie just like cannonballs right into that whimsy um yeah no i i think that that's definitely true like i would have liked for them to be more whimsical and one of i although i i'm so here for this movie's message like love and self-acceptance and and also i i honestly thought it would have been better a if the curse was never broken. Sure. Or B, if we got at least one kiss between the main two characters while she still had a pig nose. Right. Because the major part of the the you know, the middle act of the movie is Penelope learning that it doesn't matter if she has a regular nose or a pig nose. She's still worthy of love and acceptance because she's a good person. Right. Um, and they make that clear by the time she gets up to the wedding and then she decides not to, you know, go through with it. I would have liked it if she doesn't go through with the wedding. She still has the pig nose. She meets Max, finds out he's not a blue blood. And she's like, I don't care if the curse is never broken. And he's like, neither do I. And only after that is it something where right. it's like one of her own kind. Yeah, somebody who... That, I would have liked to see that. Like, um, one of the things I enjoyed about The Witcher on Netflix is a scene 
where they're these lovers and one of them is under a curse where he looks like a hedgehog guy and then they actually make out while he still looks like a hedgehog but it still it drives home like oh these people are really in love and it truly doesn't matter to her or him what the other person looks like and to me that's one of the greatest things about romance as a genre is not so much as showing two hot perfect people who fall in love but demonstrating that everyone is worthy of love and acceptance if you're you know generally not a cruel and kind person you don't have to be a particular way to to earn those things yeah, I was a little shocked too. I, I if I had to put money down on it at the halfway point, I would have assumed that there was kind of like a Shrek twist yeah, to I, it, where it was like, "Oh, James McAvoy is gonna get a pig nose too," and you know what I mean? <laughs> like that's how they end up loving each other. Is, oh, you know. they're both pigs. <laughs> oink oink. <laughs> um, yeah, but I I get what you mean. Yeah, it's and I also one of the things I really don't like in movies is when characters just kind of fall in love without it being earned because it's plot appointed. Yeah, and like especially marriage when it's based around marriage. I guess this movie kind of has that dowry arranged marriage type aspect, so there's kind of this, you know, like you said whimsical or sort of like Britishy type victorian vibe where it's like love is eh, you know it's it's love at first sight kind of thing well marriage of convenience is a staple of the genre and in particular in you know britishy or not british (laughs) e just british historical romances it's really common to see marriage convenient marriage of convenience as the main plot so this idea that she was trying to get men to marry her right and that it would be after the marriage plot was solved that we would get into the feelings that but, made sense to me still but the fact that johnny at the end of the movie when she shows up with the penelope mask and he's so distraught by it and he's like i you know take that mask off i loved her she was the love of my (laughs) life and i'm so upset oh and then he figures out that it's her and he's like oh let's make out blah 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 blah. and then she takes off her mask and he's like oh nice nose um again i think it would have been better if they kissed before the curse was lifted i mean i guess you kind of have it because he kisses her with the mask on. that's cheating i feel like it is cheating they cheated they cheated when they did that that i mean again here for the movie's message everyone deserves love as long as you're not an asshole right um which yeah but again like yeah i don't yeah that was that was the one thing where i really wish that they had had them kiss before or the curse was just never lifted. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. (laughs) So, who from this movie would you kill? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I didn't even think about that, but probably, what was his name? Vanderman? Vanderman. Vanderman? What a... What a douchebag. What a douchebag, man. (laughs) I... I did like him as he was a great Bellamy. He was an excellent right. Bellamy. Not right. only was he just a complete cad, 
He was, you know, obsessed with Penelope's looks. He was terrified of her. I loved the uh, drawing he yeah. had done of her. I thought because of that drawing, because it's truly terrifying, I'd be like, oh, yeah, making this this horror version of this movie is slam dunk. <laughs> yeah, I drew inspiration on that drawing. <laughs> <laughs> it was my, very uh... <laughs> inspiring. Yeah. But yeah, I would I would kill that guy too. Kill he he was truly awful, but he played it so well. Yeah, I agree. And um, yeah, he's that perfect kind of rom com villain that you love to hate, and you like to see him get his comeuppance at the end. He never really gets his comeuppance. He's kind of just like at the end, he's like, whew, wipes the sweat off his brow, and is like, close call. Well, everybody knows he's a crazy asshole. Right. That's kind of right. his comeuppance. Um, do you think Catherine O'Hara deserved to lose her voice? Yeah, it was kind of, I mean, it, maybe in a different movie it would have hit more where, you know, the mom was like, oh, I could have broken this curse all these years if I had just loved you unconditionally like a daughter. <laughs> like, uh, I, I appreciated the moment, but again, the movie didn't hit me on that gut level where it like swooned me. I, I liked that she missed her old nose, that they all missed how she used to look. Yeah. I missed I it. <laughs> she Yeah, she didn't look that bad with the pig nose. She I looked think cute. She, she was very cute. Right. I mean, it's Christina Ricci. <laughs> She's got really nice big brown eyes. Right. Uh, but it, yeah, it's different than like a... Uh, um, shape of water type scenario where it's like oh yeah i like that he stays fishy yeah um but it's kind of like that grotesque hp lovecraft kind of horror but you know but it's mixed cute. in with this yeah it's 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 gross but it's it's guillermo del toro so it's like charming too but this movie is like no we're just gonna make her look charming and that way you know you're in on it too yeah, no, I, I do feel like, like you mentioned Shrek and Shape of Water. I feel like the human loves monster story has definitely evolved since Penelope was written. Right. So now you get endings like the, oh, she turns into an ogre too. Or she falls into the fish monster and now she's a monster. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's... I'm I'm curious to see where you go in terms of the horror movie. Oh. How how monsterish you make her. <laughs> well, I, I was suddenly inspired by a movie that I'll I'll recommend at the end in, in Love Bites. Um and I'll leave it to you to guess which one. I Ooh. had an easier time with this oh, than yeah. with the rom com. And again, I had so much false confidence, <laughs> so much false confidence that I had both of these movies locked. Um, but I would, I'll let you be the judge. I had one of them basically locked. Okay. Um, well, not really, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. So I decided to call this movie Pearls Before Swine. Wow. Ooh. And just like Penelope, there's a prologue. Yes. Well, both of these movies have prologues. Yeah, I noticed that too. Mm -hmm. And like I said before we started recording, both dealt with piggies. 
Penelope is a pig. And also in the next movie we'll talk about, there is the pork queen. Yeah. Uh, so Pearls Before Swine, prologue, 1929. During the stock market crash of 1929, the blue-blooded heir of the Wilhern family makes a satanic pact to restore the family fortune in exchange for his firstborn child, his teenage daughter. Mm-hmm. As she is being sacrificed... The daughter curses the Wilhern family. Every Wilhern daughter born hence will have the face and appetites of a swine until 1,000 lives are shed for the one they took. Uh, And the Wilhern's family's fortunes are restored, and they just dread the day that another daughter is born, but then they go several generations with only sons until Penelope is born. So act one, Jessica Wilhern, she's in labor, she's at the hospital, and her husband is beside her, he's cheering her on. The doctor reaches between Jessica's legs for the final push, but when he pulls his hand away, his middle and index finger are missing, and the stumps are just spurting blood. Oh. And then we see the, sh- the looks of shock and horror on Jessica and Franklin's faces as they are handled- handed the bundled baby, and then they see her face for the first time, and they're like, I guess we can still call her Penelope. <laughs> um, and then we get a montage that just follows Jessica and Franklin's faces as they react to Penelope's, you know, savagery, basically Mm -hmm. cannibalism. So it's like they go from horror to just weary ambivalence. Mm -hmm. So by the time Penelope's 18, you know, they've they've got a system. They've imprisoned her in her own wing of the house. um, And then to break the curse, they start bringing back random men and they lock them in the library, bordering her prison. And then, you know, they just let her have at them and she eats them. Uh, and then everything seems to be going well until they trap this guy, Edward Vanderman. And then when Penelope sees Edward, she's not in the mood to eat him. And Edward, well, he's not really into Penelope's face because she looks really pig demony in this version. He's super into her hot body. Whoa. Um, and then they end up doing the nasty. Ew. Yeah, yeah, he fucks the pig demon. Um, and then they break out of the house together. And Jessica hires Lemon, a private investigator, to mm-hmm. track them down. So act two, now there's there's a time time jump three months later. Sure. Um, musician Johnny Martin is hanging outside his favorite bar, when he hears something going on in the alley, uh, he goes into the alley and then he sees Edward and Penelope uh, and, and he sees them from behind. So he doesn't see Penelope's face yet. Um, Edward's about to kill Penelope with a knife. When Johnny hits him with a brick, Edward dies. Um, and then Johnny actually gets turned on by Penelope too. He's, he's also into Ooh. that hot bod and pig face. Um, and so he takes her back to his place where she seduces him. Um, and the next day he goes into his living room and he's horrified to see Penelope has killed and eaten his roommate, Russell Brand. Um, but you know, he tries to abandon Penelope in the woods, but he just can't let her go. Um, so then his life starts to deteriorate. He turns to gambling and drinking. Uh, he's got a cope and lemon. Meanwhile, he's on the case. Uh, and then now we're getting into final act territory. 
Johnny has moved them to the woods. Penelope's pregnant now, by the <laughs> way. Um, and Lemon has tracked them down. And from his perspective, he sees Johnny acting crazy, shouting at the pregnant Penelope. And then Lemon rescues Penelope. He kills Johnny in self-defense. And we fast forward months later. Now Lemon is Penelope's protector. And she goes into labor and she gives birth, kind of like a mirror of the first scene. And then Lemon hands her the bundle, telling her it's a daughter. And then they look at the baby, which is also a pig demon like Penelope, because she hasn't killed a thousand people right. yet. We got a ways to go. Yeah. Um, and then Lemon says, she's beautiful, just like you. Aww. It's nice. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could consider that a happy ending. Yeah. Um, she accepts her... Her... Pig fate. <laughs> well, in this version, in Pen- a way, right? Penelope is a pig demon with an insatiable appetite for humans and then also fucking. Right. Yeah. A down and dirty pig demon. Pig demon. Slutty pig demon. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, if you're gonna go if you're gonna go raunchy, if you're gonna go rated R, might as well hit hit the violence and the nudity aspects, right? Uh, I can't I can't wait to tell you about my horror love bite. We'll we'll get to it, but I think you'll you'll enjoy the recommendation. Do you have a I'm curious if you have a an actress in mind for Penelope? Um, or if you thought about it or not. You know, I feel like Christina Ricci is one of those people, one of those actresses, she can play it she can play it sweet or right. she can play it horror. I think she could do it or you know who I think would be really great because I actually imagined this Penelope is a silent role. Like Uh she doesn't really talk. She's just, you know, looks horrible and sexy alternatively. I think that, um, I think her name is Jennifer Carpenter. Um, she was in Dexter. She was married to Dexter, but then she was also in this exorcism movie where she did, her own Emily Rose yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. that actress and then apparently during those exorcism scenes she did all her own like freaky freaky spasming so she's got good body acting for somebody as weird as a sexy pig demon right I think she could make it happen all right I gotcha I like that um yeah I don't have a name for mine I just kind of went with Penelope I figured Penelope can still be scary. It's, yeah, it's kind of got that vague horror vibe, you know. Um, Penelope. But in mine, I when does yours take place again? You said the the. Well, well 19, it took nineteen twenty nine. That was right? when the curse went into effect, but right. it takes place in modern day. Okay, gotcha. Mine takes place in medieval times. <laughs> oh fuck yes! You know so, how much I love a good medieval fantasy. Right. Um, so in mine, it's Franklin and Penelope, who's about 13, and they're poor travelers, and they're trying to go home to meet Penelope's mom, and so they're kind of like a down-on-their-luck, super poor family, and like everything they own is packed onto one cart, but the cart- Like Lone Wolf and Cup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the cart breaks down, and the horse runs away, and they, they, they make it to this town. You know, they have to hide their cart and everything. They make it to this town, and everyone turns them away. It's kind of like Mary and Joseph, right? You know, mm-hmm. but father and daughter instead of husband and wife. 
And um, so everyone turns him away. So the family kind of go, um, Franklin and Penelope go to this like small kind of trashy hut thing made out of junk. And they, they set up shelter for the night at the edge of town. And then later, uh, uh, the dad, Franklin, is woken up by screaming, and he runs out and he sees these wolves eating a pig. So he runs up and scares off the wolves, and then he kneels down by the pig. But then a group of carnival workers come, <laughs> and like it's all the freaks, right? And they see that this man is like around this pig, and so they assume that he killed the pig. No. Yep. And then the gypsy fortune teller hears Penelope calling out for her father, and so she puts a curse on Penelope and turns her into a full-on pig. Like, a full-on pig. Oh. Uh, Is she a cute pig? No, like a... a um, yeah, she starts out kind of as, like, a cute little piglet, but then as the movie goes on, she'll kind of turn more into, like, a hog-type big pig. Uh, so she puts a, she puts a curse on Penelope, and basically... Penelope has to, like, there's a, a sort of rhyme or something. You know how, like, all these curses have these rhymes in these horror movies? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a curse, and she has to, like, I don't know exactly what, but I'm thinking she has to, like, eat her own weight and human flesh in order to turn back into a human, right? So we both have these kind of, like, you have to eat people yep. to turn back yep, yep, yep. <laughs> motifs. Gotta, Gotta uh, eat people. And the thing is, the, the the catch is, as Franklin moves into a new town, right? Because he doesn't go back to where his wife is because he's so ashamed and everything. So he moves into a new town and he's like a serf, you know, working for a rich lord. And so he's kind of just working out in the fields and he's got Penelope in his little house and he's kind of hiding her in a way. Uh, you know, the town knows he has a pig, but they don't really know what the deal is with it. Uh, but then one night he wakes up a fellow surf servant person and he explains, oh, there's like an emergency out in the field. Takes the person out into the field and kills them, dismembers them, buries the body except for like, you know, the few parts that he takes back to Penelope, feeds that the person. tasty parts. Right, the tasty bits. Um, and then he feeds the scraps to his pig daughter, but nothing really happens right away that's like noticeable or anything. So then we get a montage of him killing out in the fields and, you know, he's feeding this monster and we see shadows and silhouettes and stuff like that. And, like, we kind of get the sense that the pig is turning more human, but, like, a gradual turning into a human. So it's like a were-pig. Right, exactly. So um, then one day, uh, while they're out in the field, a group of villagers attacks Franklin and knocks him out because they associate this all these people disappearing with these like pig monster noises in his hut. Of course, they were going to go full pitchforks and torches yep. at some point. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So they all go to the to his hut and they see Penelope who is a half pig, half person monster and they all recoil and decide it must be killed. Of course. And that's when Franklin shows up and tells his daughter to run and Franklin is killed. Whoa. Yeah. So Penelope goes and finds a cave in the woods and makes herself a little home. The town searches for her, but she hides. And then I have a time jump, too. So, like, years later, like, four or five years later, she's, like, this mad, crazy, half-pig woman living in the woods. So she never ate enough people? Right. Because she's in hiding, and she doesn't Mm. know what to do. Her father was always the one who killed the people for her, right? And she was a kid. She was only 13, but now she's, like, 18, 
And so she's like a little bit older and stuff like that. But basically, two men are walking through recounting the were pig story, and they're very glib about it and about killing Franklin and stuff. And she overhears them and she's like, you know, shaking her fist at them. Her hoof? Her hoof, her half hoof, <laughs> half fist. Um, and then, you know, the, the men leave, but one of them, like, oops, accidentally dropped his water canteen or something. And he comes back, and Penelope kills him and starts eating him. And then the other villager comes and scares her off. And then they're like, oh shit, the were pig's back. So they go back to town, and then uh, the village is super upset. And people start disappearing again, but now it's more like Penelope is the slasher flick villain and like mm. getting her revenge on the villager villagers. Oh, so I like, love that third they act. Des- yeah, they deserve to be eaten. Um, and so she's like killing them all and eating them, but you don't really feel bad for them because it's like, yeah, screw these villagers. They deserve it. But the villagers hear about like uh, the butcher, who's a, a monster hunter in the land, whose name is Max von Champion. So I kind of combined Ooh. some of those names from Penelope into one cool name. Like a, Hel- a Van Helsing yeah, type. like a Van Helsing type, exactly. So he strolls up and he's like a super pretty boy, fancy jerk type. And he's got like a guitar and he sings his own theme song. And basically he's more of like a PR guy than an actual monster hunter guy. And he's very procrastinating, and he's like, oh, in order to kill the monster, I need to spend time with the prettiest lady in town, you know? Sounds like a good role for Nick Frost. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And then, uh, so finally the town convinces him to go off to the woods, and he's like, eh, it's probably just something, whatever. But then he sees Penelope, and he's frightened off by her, and he runs away, and it turns out that that was not the real Max von Champion. That was just a fake and a Mm -hmm. con man. And so then the slashing and killings keep going, and the town starts to leave, and, like, you know, the town is cursed, and... um, Meanwhile, like there's a main, you know, we'll we'll work this in so that uh, I just gave her the name of Jessica because Jessica is the mom from mm-hmm. Penelope, but she's also kind of like a bad guy in the movie. Uh, Jessica is like the 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 head town villager person who's like the most pitchforky, right? Because oh, yeah. we have to give her a final villain to to overcome. Um, and so as the villagers are leaving town, Jessica is like, "No, this is our village. We're gonna stay and fight one final stand." And the other villagers who leave go to, like, a pub, and they're telling this story. And that's when a miserable, grizzled sort of um, Henry Cavill-type... Grumpy? Grumpy old man hears about this monster, and he is the real Max Von Champion. And he's like, I'm going to go get me a payday. I'm going to go kill me this monster. So Max meets up with Jessica, the head town lady. He goes into the woods to hunt Penelope. There's like a chase scene and a fight scene where she has to scramble for her life and she runs away. But where does she run to? She runs into town. She meets up with Jessica. She has to fight Jessica, ends up killing Jessica and eating her. But as she's eating her, she like finally turns into a human. Oh no, she's losing her werepig powers. Right, but she finally turns into a human, but she's like continuing to eat jessica and then that's when max comes up and it's kind of you got that like kill me aspect where penelope is like you know she's gone full rollers so to speak from tusk it's like 
she she even though she's human even though again? she's human in body she's not human in mind she's a monster in mind oh, that's tragic so max ends up killing her and that's the end of the movie that's tragic <laughs> it's like the super bummer i want i wanted that drag me to hell just like super bummer ending i mean is it a bummer ending or did christine get exactly what she deserved no it's a bummer ending <laughs> <laughs> your remix i mean you've already got my catnip with with the medieval fantasy stuff right um but the um her killing all the villagers oh what a that would be a fun scene yeah yeah yeah. turning it around having the the horror of eating people turn i i wanted you know what i got um is uh hellraiser 2 Mm. those vibes of like the the crazy doctor woman right, killing right. all those men and the other doctor like helping her do it and she's turning more and more human but she's also like the more she kills the more of a monster she becomes and oh, yeah, yeah. Hellraiser two is so badass I love Hellraiser two and and she's one of the greatest villains oh, of yeah. all time uh, yeah no I I love that and and oh you know you know I love a grumpy veteran oh yeah me too coming at the end and save the day the but, oh, judge he, dread oh, Rambo type who's like so miserable and he hates killing but he's so good at killing you know <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's true it's true uh, no one strangely enough no one in drag me to hell was that grumpy. Aside from Mrs. Ganesh. Yeah. Who, I mean, well, not really grumpy. She was just at her end. At she her was wit's end. comically evil. Comically <laughs> evil. Hey, she was shamed. Yeah. She was shamed. But you know what? She took all those candies. <laughs> and she she had that sort of like... I mean, we'll get into it, but... <laughs> yes, she was truly disgusting. Um, right. Yeah, Drag Me to Hell. So tell me about your history with Drag Me to Hell. Oh, man. I saw this movie with a coworker, and it was like we had never seen a movie before. She was a lady coworker, but it wasn't really like a date or anything. But we just were like two people who got along, and we went out to see a movie. And I was like, oh, man, there's this new movie, Drag Me to Hell. It was at the Dollar Theater. You remember when they had Dollar Theaters? Wait, the Dollar Theaters are gone? I think so. I don't know. I haven't been to a Dollar Theater in so long. But, you know, like the the movies that would play after, like, three months for only a buck. Um, I really wanted to see Drag Me to Hell, but I just couldn't get around to it. And Mm -hmm. then I was like, man, I got to see Sam Raimi. Like, Sam Raimi, I got to see this movie. And... So I'm, uh, I forgot, but she was like, oh, yeah, I'll go along and see that movie. And so basically I'm the one who invited her. And then the moment the movie ended, I was like, holy shit, that movie was amazing, right? And she just turned and looked at me and was like, that movie was so bad. And I was like, what? She didn't like it? <laughs> she hated it. And I felt so bad. But at the same time, I was like, you are insane for hating that movie. How did you, how did you hate that movie? It was so good um yeah so that's kind of my relationship with the movie (laughs) is what i remember it's like i remember loving it and then the person that i took along to see the movie just hating it and i don't know 
I think I've shown Drag Me to Hell to at least one person and they didn't end up liking it. But I don't remember what the people I saw it with in theaters thought of it. But like yeah. you, I also saw it when it when it came out and I loved it. I thought it was so cheeky. It's so good. I was really worried to show it to Sonia for two reasons. One, Did she finally watch it? Uh, she had seen it before because oh. uh, I showed it to her before. Um, but... And I think we talked about this on another podcast episode, but um, I was worried to show it to her for two reasons. One, the tone of the movie is all over the place, but it's all over the place in only the way Sam Raimi can do it. Where one scene you're terrified, the next scene you're laughing out loud, and then the next scene you're like gut punched, you know, right in the stomach of like you know of, it's melodramatic right yeah it's very melodramatic uh i love melodrama oh, it's so good um and so i was really worried about the tone being all over the place but then also the fact that a cat dies that's and right Sonya loves those kitties i mean i love cats too okay i will but. before we launch into the summary where we'll we'll get into it but the cat killing scene yes this movie has a scene where a cat is killed but unlike rogue where the dog is dead. Right. You don't see the cat. The cat is killed off screen. I mean, even Sam In in your version, she goes to stab the cat, and then it cuts to dirt? Yes. And there's no blood, and there's no dead corpse. Did you watch a different version? There's an unrated version, which is, to me, not the superior version. Really? Um, Yeah, the version that Sony and I watched was was the... rated version the rated r version i think that's the one i might have and it's it's the superior version because most the the biggest difference is in the unrated version when she goes to stab the cat blood spurts up on her face Mm -hmm. and then when she goes to bury the cat they show the corpse of the cat being thrown into the pit and then being covered with dirt and i don't think that you need to show the cat dying (laughs) I really don't like, think I you Like, I really need don't to. think you need to. I think the movie work. I think the movie, the only time I've ever laughed at an animal death is in this movie when she is, like, being haunted by this spirit. And then she's like, I could never kill a cat. And then the, the ghost slaps her around a bit. And then she's like, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. And then you cut to the dirt. And it's such a perfect cut. Right. And no. You, yeah, you don't need. You really don't. You don't need you don't the, the killing. Need, you really don't need it. And I'm still mad at Rogue for right. showing us that dog die, even though it was CGI. It's like you spent money on that dead dog CGI. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's let's find out how we get to that cat killing scene. Oof. So this movie has a prologue. Pasadena, 1969. A couple with their ill-looking son. In tow, knock frantically at the door of a medium, Sean Sandina. Dana? Um, the boy was cursed, basically, after he stole a necklace from a gypsy wagon. The group holds a seance, but then they are wrecked by an invisible force that slaps the shit out of them. It just comes in there like Conor McGregor, arms swinging, <laughs> even though you can't see it, but they, they just get owned. Um, the boy then falls off the balcony railing onto the first floor, which breaks apart, revealing the fiery pits of hell before they drag the boy in and close up. And then Sandana vows to meet the demon again one day and win. 
So we cut to present day. That's so good. The, the difference between a Sam Raimi movie and a regular movie is like where a regular movie might just cut on her face like terrified. In a Sam Raimi movie, she's like, we'll meet again one day. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, she's, she's totally <laughs> like a like a Dr. It's so Loomis. pulpy. Yeah, <laughs> it's so pulpy. Um, Dark Man is one of my all-time favorite movies. Is that the one with Rufus Sewell? No, you're oh, thinking Dark of Dark City. City. Yeah, yeah, Dark Man is with Liam Neeson, uh, where he plays the guy who whose face gets blown up and he puts the fake masks on. And, oh, oh, kind so of good. like that Vincent so Price movie, like um, Doctor uh, The Abominable Doctor Fibes. Doctor Fibes, <laughs> yeah, he does a he pulls a Doctor Fibes. Yeah, um, but yeah, no that that opening like immediately just establishes like we exist in a world with curses and people can be dragged to hell. Um, but we cut to present day LA. Christine Brown is in traffic. She's listening to elocution tapes to get rid of her hick accent on her way to work at a local bank. Christine and another coworker, Stu, they're trying to get the same promotion to assistant manager. And then Mr. Jax, the uh, boss, assures Christine that it's between her and Stu, but he likes Stu because Stu can make the tough decisions. I hope you can feel my air quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Jackson Stu twist the knife by then condescendingly ordering Christine to take her lunch break early so that she can bring back sandwiches. Ugh. Ugh. There's such douchebags. Um, but then Christine visits her boyfriend during lunch. Uh, Clay, played by Justin Long. He's a psych professor, and during lunch, she overhears him on the phone with his mom where she's dissing Christine as a farm girl Mm -hmm. and suggesting that she can matchmake him with someone better. So Christine returns to work. and Well, she also, very important, gives Clay a coin. Oh, God. Oh, I completely... Okay, so this is very important to the plot later. She steals a standing Liberty coin from the bank and gives it to Clay, who puts it in an envelope. Yep. This will be important later. Um, But then she returns to work, and she is in a mood. So in an effort to win Mr. Jax's approval so he'll promote her, she decides she's going to act tough with the next client that comes. And that is the wrong decision. Uh, Mrs. Ganesh uh, totally loses it when Christine denies her an extension on her mortgage. And then Mrs. Ganesh gets down on her knees. She's begging. She clutches at Christine. And then Christine calls security, which... Honestly, I think was unnecessary. She could have overpowered this old lady. There was there was no need to to make people. Know. You you think that Mrs. Ganesh is is I I maybe I'm just a Ganesh apologizer. <laughs> I don't know. I I I think the 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 genius of Sam Raimi is the the opposites pulling at each other in this movie, and one of the opposites is how bad you feel for Mrs. Ganesh, but also how much you hate her and how much she is like an evil person. I love that old bitch. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like you love to hate. I always love a bad guy that you love to hate. 
Really? I just love her, period. Oh, no. I, uh, she takes that candy, and then she's got those teeth, and she's coughing up and hacking up. She is and then disgusting, she but also, that is not a reason to dislike her. But then she also, the the proportion of the curse with the punishment is not, well, well, we'll see, you know. We'll, we'll see, we'll see, we'll, we'll see, we'll all see. Right, all right, we'll see. all right, all right. Apologizer for Mrs. Ganesh here. Um, but, but Mrs. Ganesh... The security takes her away, and Miss, Mrs. Ganesh accuses Christine of shaming her, um, as if she didn't know that Christine herself was completely filled with shame, um, which we'll, we'll get into. Right. But um, after work... Oh, and then Mr. Jax is like, you did exactly the right, right. thing, because he's so an good. asshole. <laughs> um, and after work, Christine gets into her car. Yeah. And she, the Sam Raimi fans will know that car that Mrs. Ganesh drives. Is, really? Uh, yeah, like the Sam Raimi... Oldsmobile. From what movie? From all of his movies. Oh, he he puts that Oldsmobile in all movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, so it's like a very meta Sam Raimi fan-esque like moment. Oh, it was perfect. It's like, it's <laughs> one of those scenes where it's like, you know exactly what's going to happen, oh, but you're yeah. scared anyway. I mean, it's just, 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 it's shorthand. Um, but she gets in her car where, of course, she is attacked by Mrs. Ganesh. Ganesh rips a button off of Christine's coat and curses her before disappearing. Uh, and I, I'm summarizing the scene, but it, it it's a really fucking cool scene. It's so great. And it's, the tonal it, shift and the jazz music as she's reaching for the It's so the gross. Thing and- <laughs> it's so disgusting. I really, my favorite part of the scene is when Mrs. Ganesh is uh, dentures fall out. Oh, yeah. Giuliani style. Uh, and then she gums she, oh. uh, Christine's face. It's, it's truly disgusting. Um, it's so and gross. it's great. Um, but, you know, Christine, she calls the police. Clay comes to get her. They're walking down the street later, and Christine decides that she wants to have her fortune read. So they go to this seer, Ram Joss, who reads Christine's palm, but when he gets a flash of that demon face, he does not want to read her fortune anymore. He tells her he'll give her her money back, but then she wants to know the truth anyways, and he tells her, you're being haunted by an evil spirit. You in danger. Um, and then at home alone, Christine is attacked by the invisible force, total slap fest. Um, but when Clay comes back and the police are called, she's basically made to believe like you just have PTSD from the attack earlier. And then when they're asleep, I thought this was great too. Uh, a fly crawls into Christine's mouth and then she has a nightmare about Mrs. Ganoush, uh, throwing up maggots on top of her. Right. The amount of things that come out or go into Christine's mouth in this movie is truly <laughs> disgusting and startling. So great. Um, the next. This day, is a. What it's. I don't know if this is a term or not, but it's. It's like a gauntlet movie. They're throwing Christine through the gauntlet in this movie. They are just throwing bile on her, worms on her, maggots on her, eyeballs on her embalming fluid on her like so much stuff is being spewed up onto her this movie just takes so much joy in putting her through the ringer oh yeah and there's a very i (laughs) remind me to talk about this after i finish the summary there's i think there's a really specific psychological reason why she's punished in the way that she is um but the more she's put through the ringer the more you want her to succeed which is the genius of the sam raimi movie 
I'm I think. seeing her tortured. I don't know. Maybe I'm what? I'm a less magnanimous person than you. I, I, I mean, I want, I want Christine to prevail, but she and and her boyfriend are just such milk toast people. Um, oh no, I, that, I definitely feel for her. Um, no, I feel for her shame. But we'll, we'll I, get, I think it's weird that we both really like the movie, but we both have like completely different takes on the characters in the. Oh well, thing. I mean that's so that's so cool to me. She has to kind of deserve it in in a little way in order for you to not be too bummed by the bummer ending. Like I feel like this is a movie that's not so attached to Christine that you aren't that you are crushed when she's done in. But right. um, so the next day after the maggot nightmare. Christine is distracted by more visions of Mrs. Ganesh, and then she gets a spontaneous and geyser-like nosebleed. Like oh, this is like an man. anime nosebleed times ten. <laughs> it's um, so good, and it completely covers Mr. Jacks, which is great because he asks, "Did it get in my mouth?" Yeah, that's so gross. <laughs> and then uh, Stu, while this is all going on, he steals some files from her yeah. desk. Um, Christine leaves work. She tries to go and apologize to Mrs. Ganesh, but Mrs. Ganesh's granddaughter, she lets Christine in and points her downstairs where the family's holding awake. Mrs. Ganesh is dead. Um, So then Christine goes back to Ram Joss. He explains that she's being haunted by a demon called Balamia who will torment her for three days before dragging her to hell. TM. Uh, he gives her a book on sacrifice and suggests she try to exchange the sacrifice for herself, but Christine tells him, I'm a vegetarian. Right. But another slap fest from that invisible demon at home is all it takes for her to sacrifice her kitten, um, and she has just enough time to bury that kitten before she has to meet Clay's parents for dinner. But she feels pretty confident that curse is over. Right. She traded a kitten. It was a really cute kitten. Yeah. Um, but then at dinner, she begins having more hallucinations. She coughs up the fly from earlier. Which is great because the, f- the fly scene is a dream sequence. No, the fly was real. The dream happened after. Uh, I think it's kind of to be interpreted that like the fly comes in and goes in and then she wakes up coughing and it's like a fake out because then Ganu shows up and like spews maggots on her and Uh. stuff. And so I just like the fact that even though it is a dream sequence, they bring it back and they're like, they make it that supernaturally-esque kind of thing where it's like, was it a dream? Like well, they pay it back. You there know. was a real flying. It's a great callback, and it was alive. Um, and dinner is basically botched at that point. So then Christine goes back to Ramjas, and then this time he tells her he knows someone who can help, but he's going to need ten thousand dollars. Um, Christine first tries to get the money from Mister Jax because of the upcoming promotion, but then she learns that they lost an important deal. Uh-oh. The big deal, yeah, the, the big, big client. The big client, <laughs> nuh-uh. Um, it's Stu's fault, long story short. Um, so then she... Saboteur. <laughs> yes. So then she sells off all her valuables, and it's so, like... I think Christine does a good job of acting sad and willowy and yeah. cute. Um, the, and then... Um, the the ice skating bit with the yeah. the skates and then the the anvil and it's so comical and cartoony and 
perfectly done where it's like just the the way it's framed and shot oh, yeah, where, that you, was a where good... you have the ice skates and then when she finally lifts them up to cut the rope and you're like yeah oh that's right she has another run-in yeah. with mrs ganish the ghost, <laughs> the ghost who completely shoves her entire arm oh. in christine's throat um but but she prevails right. and then after selling her stuff Clay swoops in and tells her he'll pay the 10K. And it's like, you could have told us way before she had to sell all her stuff, Justin Long. Clay is simultaneously, like this whole movie is opposites. Clay is simultaneously the world's best boyfriend, but also kind of like, kind of a dick. I despise him. (laughs) But he's also like the world's best boyfriend. He is not. His family is horrible. You know how I talked about wanting to steal people's families? I would never steal his family. Um, Also, the day after she's attacked, he tells her, don't go pissing off any old ladies at work. It's cute. He's such a... I can't stand him. And, like, he's so patronizing. But Justin Long is so charming. Justin Long is very good in this role, but... <laughs> he plays it, it off. He's he's the kind of guy you love to hate. Ugh, Again, yes. just like... Really, um, yeah. truly. More more than Mrs. Ganesh, I, I find Clay to be a crime. Um, so Clay swoops in, pays for the 10K, um, and then... Uh, Ram Joss takes Christine to Sean Sandina. She's back. Um, they hold another seance. And then when Lamia appears, all hell breaks loose. He possesses several people. And then Sandina just manages to exercise the Lamia before dying. Yep. Uh, and Christina is a dumb bitch because she's like, oh, that's the end, you know? Like, I, she got the Lamia before she died. I, I liked her delivery of that yeah. line. And Ramjas is like, uh, no, you're still cursed. Right. Right away, he's like, uh, no. Girl, <laughs> too bad, you're too still sad. cursed. Um, and he reveals to her that the only option now is for her to remove the, or the only option to remove it is to give the curse to someone else. What a great scene. Oh, yeah, very. It's like very Little Mermaid rules, you know. Um, the old man with the like. This whole movie is so comical. The old man with the 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 breathing. Oh yeah, mask so she now she the, has to decide. And... So very important thing. It's Ron so Joss takes the button and he puts it in an envelope and seals it. Ooh. The envelope, the twin envelopes now are back. Um, so now Christina's deciding who she's going to drag to hell. And she's like, oh, maybe I'll do this guy who's about to die anyways. Right. But then his wife comes to the diner table and she's like, fuck, I can't kill that guy. And then she calls up Stu. And we find out that Stu was the one who botched the big business deal right. to get ahead of Christine. And she thinks about dragging Stu to hell. But then he acts like a big win. But he's so pathetic. He's so <laughs> pathetic that she's like, never mind. And she sends him away. And so then she calls up Ram Joss and she asks him if she can maybe give the button to a dead person. And he's like, yeah, you could do that. As long as you formally declare 
you're handing it over, which is such a great little cinematic oh, touch. Of, of course. So cut to the graveyard. Oh, this is one of my favorite scenes. And they do that with a Dutch angle too. Yeah. So they, you zoom into this graveyard and it already looks completely unreal. Um, the Dutch use in this, the Dutch angle use in this movie is spot on. It's not like every scene the way Touch of Evil is or right. something like but that. But it's, it's used so perfectly. It's used maybe three or four times and to great effect. Um, and that time is one of them. And so she's digging up Mrs. Garnish's body. It's raining. Like, it's just, it's filthy. She's she's deep it's in the muck pure now. pure cinema. <laughs> pure cinema. Like, uh, what is it, that meme about this shot should be taught in every film class? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, so she, she finally digs up Mrs. Ganesh's body. She formally declares that she's yeah. handing the button over and she shoves that envelope in Mrs. Ganesh's mouth. And she, um, several times in the movie, Christine says, bitch, or yeah. like, die, bitch, or here's your fucking button, bitch. And it's really satisfying. Oh, yeah. Uh, Next day, Christine is going to Union Station. She's all smiles because the curse is over. She buys a little cute new blue coat. And then she meets... And she gets the promotion. Oh, yeah, that's right. She got the promotion because Stu confessed that... Stu self-sabotaged. Yep, 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 yep. So, you know, everything's... Everything is... Everything's coming... Coming up Millhouse. Yeah, coming up Christine. (laughs) She is kind of a Millhouse. But um, Christine meets with Clay, who prior to her coming, he he checks an engagement ring. So it's like, oh, she's got it all. Curse is broken. She got a brand new coat. She got the promotion. She about to get the ring. Uh, and then he's like, oh, hey, Christine, uh, I have your envelope with your button. You must have switched it with the envelope with my coin. And he's so innocent about it, but Christine is scared shitless. She realized the curse is still in effect. She stumbles onto the train tracks and is dragged to hell before Clay's eyes. Fuck. Yeah. (laughs) And. And then fucking train running over christine screaming the rocks the hand the thing justin long's eyes full of tears fucking cut to black drag me to hell music kicks in oh Uh, my god uh, it was it was a beautiful ending and and they and then you go back to the the main theme from the beginning of the movie with that that sassy little gypsy violin And it's, you know what this movie is, is this movie is the cinematic equivalent of saying fuck you to your best friend, but you mean it as a compliment. You know what I mean? Like, that's what this entire movie is. This entire movie is just giving you a giant middle finger, but it's a middle finger you enjoy getting. It's cheeky. It's like, you know, if you're going to use the friend analogy, I would say it's that friend who acts like a jackass and can be really insulting, but they're so cheeky and funny about it. You're like, oh, that's my asshole. Right. Yeah. I, I, I can tell you that almost all of the notes that I made for Drag Me to Hell were punctuated by exclamation marks. <laughs> <laughs> I just like uh, everything. 
everything had exclamation marks like oh that epic nosebleed yeah eye cake i i can like it like every opportunity there was to make a scene even crazier yeah they took it which is like the penelope thing if i think if you compare these two movies back to back sam raimi just enjoys taking so much pleasure in taking something small taking the small and mundane things and amping them up and making them seem more important than they are and like really bringing out the tension in the small visuals like the scale of this movie is so small she's up for a minor promotion she's got you know a boyfriend who might but he's propose not that to her good looking he's just kind of like a regular dude right and like even the curse is kind of like <sighs> You know, like There's the fact some spooks and goofs, but she's not. I mean, but it's like pots and pans, and then kind of like smacking her around, shadows. and it's yeah, a lot of shadow play and stuff like that, and and then um, I, I don't know. It's just like even at the end of the graveyard, at the big final scene, it's, you have one character who's on a set that's clearly just a graveyard set. In one grave, the scale is so small. It's not like Avengers level Thanos. Oh no! Epic. I love the zoom into the grave. Yeah, but it's so this this moment means so much to the character that even though the scale is so small, it feels so big. And you know, it's 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 a huge moment because she's finally choosing to go deep into the earth, into the muck to to get her win like i was saying earlier that i feel like the punishment in this case is really specific and maybe i'm reading maybe i'm putting on my english major hat and reading too much into this movie but you get some some very like broad stroke character details about christine she used to be fat she's from the country she's embarrassed by her Mm -hmm. country accent She's embarrassed by her origins, by the person she used to be. She's ashamed. She looks at a window and sees cake and, and, and wants to eat it but can't. And I think it's implied that she is bulimic or she has an eating disorder because so many things go in and out of her mouth. Mm-hmm. And she's always dealing with bile and decay. And these are things that she... like. Like shame and embarrassment are are unique emotions because it's not so much that you are being called out for something that you did or a crime that you committed, but the shame is that you've been revealed for someone for something that you are. And so deep down, she feels like she's fat and disgusting, filled with bile, Mm -hmm. and she's trying to run away from that image that connotation and mrs ganish is like the avatar of everything christine is trying to distance herself from every disgusting bodily thing that she just doesn't want to be and so to have all those gross disgusting things happening to her like the embalming fluid yeah falling into her mouth when mrs ganush um her body falls on top of her and then in the end instead of just like constantly fearing and pushing all of these disgusting bodily elements again she has to embrace it right. to get to the end um yeah no it's totally you know in the hero's journey the like going to hell 
yeah. moment um, before she's literally dragged to hell. Um, I, I love any kind of body horror that's not just um, right. torment, like body horror, like somebody's being tortured or, or turned into like an aesthetic torture object, but like Cronenberg style, mm-hmm. like it's like my body is becoming disgusting. Right. Is, um, I don't know, for me, that's just such a more relatable form of horror. <laughs> my um, body is disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I, I can definitely see the bulimic aspect of this movie, but for me, I see it more as like, It's just, it feels more like a cinematic horror movie joke version of, there's a great joke that um, Larry Miller tells on the DVD extra special features for the aristocrats. That's the same. Oh, the joke movie? Yeah, it's the same gimmick as the aristocrats, which is, it's not in the, the the punchline is always the same, but it's the setup and how long Mm. you can drag the setup that's kind of... um, that's kind of the joke you know it's it's a comedian's joke this movie feels to me it feels like a filmmaker's film um oh, like kind of how scream is winky at itself right like this whole movie feels like in in the aristocrats the joke larry miller tells is that this soldier went to war in europe he stopped at a cafe and had apple pie years later came back to america and he's like on his deathbed and he's like man the one thing i want in life more than anything is that apple pie again so then he decides to go back to that cafe in europe to eat one final slice of apple pie but then the joke is you have to extend out the journey you know he's on a plane crash he's stranded on an island he's on a boat he's attacked by sharks he's in a car crash he's attacked by wolves you try to take this what essentially should be a 30 second joke and extend it into a 10 minute joke. And then at the end of the, at the end of the joke, he gets to the, he gets to the cafe and he says, I'll have a slice of your world famous apple pie. And the waitress goes, we don't have the apple pie. We're all out. All we have is a blueberry. And the guy goes, Oh, all right, then I'll have a slice of that instead. You know? And it's like the joke is the setup. You're, mm-hmm. you're putting this guy through the ringer just so at the end of the joke he can go like, eh, yeah, all this, all this torture that I went through for the apple pie, eh, I'll just have the blueberry instead. And that's what this movie feels like to me. It's like you're going to put this character through all this torture and make her overcome this curse and all of this stuff and make her learn this lesson. And then at the end, she spouts out the lesson to Justin Long. And you're like, you feel so good for her. And then... I no, I she's fucking. And then the Sam deal. Raimi gives you the middle finger, and she's dragged to fucking hell. I mean, if if Sam Raimi was saying "fuck Christine," then I kind of agree. Like she could have given Mrs. Ganesh the loan, and she could have shown that she was the kind of bank manager who could make tough decisions in in the way that she was deciding to think for herself. But eternal damnation. What, well, if she had thought for herself and done just what her intuition told her to do, and if her intuition was telling her, which she told Mrs. Ghana, she's like, let's see what we can do for you. And she initially really wanted to help. But then when she was pressured into making the quote-unquote tough decision, right. she decided to disband her intuition and was no longer I think I think she's totally just I mean I've had to work that job before where I have customers who 
I feel sorry for, but there's nothing I can do. And it makes you feel shitty, but I don't want to be eternally damned to hell and put through fire for the rest of eternity. That sounds bad. That sounds right. bad. I don't know. I just, maybe I have too much confidence that my customer <laughs> service skills would keep me from being gypsy cursed. But maybe I already have been. Maybe. Um, Did you, here, let me ask you a question. Did you know that the coin and button got swapped? Well, I had seen this movie before, so I was already familiar with the twist. I wish I could bring myself back to when I originally saw the movie because the exchange happens really quickly. She's in the car with her boyfriend. Um, she has a vision again right. of Mrs. Ganesh. He breaks suddenly, all her papers fall to the floor, mm-hmm. and then she's looking for the envelope and she finds it, not knowing that she's swapped it. Right. So I think when I originally saw the movie, I probably didn't read, I don't know if I would have been, I'll, I'll, I'll just say that I probably wasn't smart enough at the time to right. have caught that that was the moment where we got the little switcheroo. Yeah. Um, so it was authentically shocking when you know christine doesn't make it but the way that they do sort of the melodramatic serious scenes between her and her boyfriend yeah and i feel like the way that they're told to act in those scenes is so saccharine yeah that you don't feel sorry for them like i think they they're they're directed to act in a certain way where it feels phony the way that like um, have you ever seen um, the David Lynch movie, um, Mulholland Drive? Mm, uh, I saw it once a long time ago. So in the first half of Mulholland Drive, which is, spoiler alert, um, a, basically a fantasy of the main character of Naomi Watts. In the fantasy version of her life, everybody kind of talks and acts really hokey mm-hmm. in like almost an old Hollywood. Like when she's like, well, I... I I have to tell you something. I could have given Mrs. Ganesh yeah. the extension on her mortgage. And then he holds her face and he does a little head tilt and he says, you have such a good heart. I feel like it's written, it's acted so purposefully corny so that you are just kind of like, fuck these people. No, and see, <laughs> I, I feel the complete opposite. I feel it's so overly corny that you feel even more sorry for them. <laughs> Or like I think it's it's funny that we both agree that it's done so corny and on purpose. Like this movie's definitely self-aware. At no point like you're definitely along for the ride. You're laughing with the movie. Right. I don't think anyone could watch this movie and laugh at it thinking, you know, this is a bad movie because the movie's already in on the joke. I just don't feel sorry for her the way that you, I I, find I guess that so interesting because I'm I feel, I'm the I romance feel, fan, <laughs> but but I'm more cynical than you, I think. I feel sorry for her just in the sense of like, yeah, Sam Raimi, pull those heartstrings. Like, I feel sorry for her in the meta sense of like, right? yeah, pull the, make her at her most vulnerable, most vulnerable when she gets dragged to hell. But when I first saw it, I'm not the kind of guy who tries to guess ahead in movies at all. But the moment she grabbed that envelope, I knew that it was the coin. And so for the rest of the movie, I was like waiting for the twist because then I was like excited because I was like, how is she going to overcome 
The twist. The twist at the and end. And then you get to the very end and you're like, how's it going to happen? And then like the movie just gets closer and closer and closer to her being dragged to hell. And then when it happens, it all happens so suddenly. And just like my favorite, you talk about catnip. My favorite endings are those martial art types endings where the good guy punches the bad guy and he dies. And then it just says the end and you're like no closure no wrapping up no epilogue just the end we're done and so when drag me to hell pops up on screen ah like that's my catnip man i really loved that i loved that ending and i loved the the opening with the medieval drawings of the lamia and And it sets it has a great score what's great to me is it sets up the 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 opening credit sets up the rules for the audience right so that when christine starts getting the curse we're ahead of her so the horror is we We know know that she's being cursed and then the genius of sam raimi is halfway into the movie she figures out she's cursed and has to overcome the curse but then to me the the horror in the third act is knowing that there's been the switch for me, the the, mm. the meta aspect is like now the horror is knowing that s- something is still going to go wrong. And then when it does go wrong, it just completely goes wrong. So I love that sort of push and pull and like the way that he teases you and gets you ahead of the audience or ahead of the character. And then the way the character catches up, he makes it fun. Like the whole seance scene is oh, just full of oh, life. Oh, it was and so hilarious. The, the goat, the, the talking goat, goat. Yeah. The goat puppet was <laughs> it's incredible. So great. And the dancing demon is very like evil oh, dead-esque. I, and... I mean, I, I did say earlier, I you don't see the cat die, but I think it's a hilarious moment when in the... Like the demon is possessed one right. of the seance people, and he tells her, "I don't want your fucking cat." cat. <laughs> and then he literally throws, throws up the up. corpse of the cat right in front of her, and it's just it's so. so he's like, "I want you, poor queen." <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it's really it's really Ugh. fun. Um. I I do like that the movie is bold enough to go there. Yeah. I mean, she's a sacrificial lamb. Uh, and yeah. I, I keep using the word cheeky, but yeah. I feel like it's very cheeky. Uh, I'm very curious to know who you've got a crush on in this movie, because it sounds like you didn't like anyone. <laughs> well, I I forgot briefly while I was taking notes for the movie that we kill our rom-com right. characters <laughs> and we crush on our horror characters, you know, just for some fun little contrast. And I was like, oh yeah, I want to kill, I want to kill Clay or I want to <laughs> kill Clay's mom. And then I was like, fuck, that's not <laughs> the point of this one. Um, but who I have a crush on, I love Mrs. Ganesh. I, I she got you. was disgusting. I got you. She was horrible. Her nails they needed some work but you know she was a character and i i i apparently they got a stage actress to play her for this movie and i thought she did an excellent job yeah Uh, and apparently she really tried to learn hungarian for um whenever she was saying her foreign spells but she you know worked with a dialect coach to you know, try to get it right, real, yeah. real detail and 
some of her, you know, character choices. So yeah, I, I stand, I stand, Mrs. Ganish. All right, I got gotcha. you, Team Ganish for sure. I love stew. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> I freaking love stew in this movie, man. So you have to remember that film crush is not the character. We don't have a, a crush on the actual person or character themselves in the sense that, like, I want to date Stu or I find Stu attractive in any way. But you just loved him. But as a character, he's that character that's so... Like, when he says, oh, I asked for no mayo, and she's like, no, you didn't. And he really didn't. And he, and he didn't. And then she's, he's like, you know what? It's fine. And then gives the boss that look about, like, women... What are you gonna do? Oh it's, God, I wanted to oh, kill Stu. I love it so much. He's so, and then the fact that she has the option to give him the button, but he's so pathetic. The way he gets out of being dragged to hell is by being so pathetic. It's just so perfect. I love those. I love those characters that are just, you know, he's got. 10 minutes of screen time tops, but he he milks every single ounce of that screen time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and his name is Reggie Lee is the Reggie actor. Reggie Lee is the yeah. actor's name? That's yeah. good to know. So uh, Yeah, Reggie, Reggie Lee was great. I'm surprised. I thought that you would have gone for Ram Joss because he's, you know, a Dr. Loomis type. Yeah, I definitely I really liked the first scene with him when the when the shadows start appearing mm-hmm. and the, the wind kicks up and stuff and how you know, he's set up as this guy who's like not to be taken seriously and just a scam artist, but then he's like, No, you've you've got a real curse. I'll give you your money back. Like, no. And it like just the reversal there, that again to opposites. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. do you take him seriously or do you not take him seriously? I thought another yeah. hilarious line, which again proves that Clay is a douchebag, was when they're in the car later, him and Christine, and she's like, but he tried to take the money back. Yeah. And he's like, well, well, in the end, he he took yeah. it. Yeah, how hard did he try? <laughs> how hard did he try? He took it. I'm like, okay, whatever, shut but up, Chad. I love, <laughs> I love when he's like, you know, well, Nietzsche said this about this, and then Christine's like, Clay, please, can we talk? And he's like, no, yeah, I know. No, really, come on, let's go. He is exactly... He's, uh, he's so yeah, dickish, he's so but awful. he's so perfect. But it's, he's also so supportive. And he stands supportive. by her. And he, he accepts her. He does pay 10K for her seance. You know? Which is, that, that is saying a lot. I do also <laughs> like that he witnesses her being dragged to hell because he was the skeptic right and so it was important that he needed to see right. that it's real and the look on his face at the end with those tears and that moment of just being so flabbergasted and then fucking cut drag me to hell oh, i love it oh but beautiful yeah, so I'm ready tell to, me uh... how did you turn this into a romantic comedy well the biggest thing for me was that this movie has so much pleasure in torturing its main character and you're on for such that ride if if you're a sam raimi fan if you're a horror fan and you're you're down to see your main character go through the gauntlet um and and you like those movies where the lower the lowest or the the more low the main character's lows are the more high the highs feel oh yeah the graveyard scene right. was the high so it I, I wanted to to really bring out that tension of like, does this person like me? 
You know what I mean? Okay. And so the best way I could, and I didn't want the curse to be like, you like someone, but bad things, externally bad things keep happening to you. So like, whoops, you spilled wine on your fancy dress. So now you have to go to the gala in sweatpants. You know, I, I wanted to try to avoid that. Oh, okay. As much as possible. So my pitch is is not as specific, but it's more like a general kind of idea pitch. Okay. Christine is uh, down on her luck, kind of. She's she's uh, at this prestigious office company where she has an internship. Like she's a young adult, but it's a very prestigious company, and it's an internship where it's very clearly set up that her and her rival are up for the same job, and at the end of the internship, only one of them will Fucking get it. Fucking stew. Stew. So in this version, Chloe is her rival. Okay. And so uh, to to help picture this, I I envision uh, Christine as like an Anna Kendrick type. Okay. So sort of like cute but quirky and kind of like she can play confident but also not confident in herself, you yes. know. And so yeah, uh, she's also got bad luck dating men, so we'll go on a few bad dates and kind of get some comedy from there. And she also has a thing where, like, she wants to get into the business side of things and have, like, a nine-to-five job to have a career. But she's also got, you know, from the drawing in from Penelope, she's got this, like, piano side, artsy side, Mm -hmm. where her true passion is playing music, but she feels like she has to play it safe and go to business, you know, get a job at a business. Uh, So, again, very melodramatic in the same way that Drag Me to Hell is. Um, so Christine drives past a gypsy woman on the side of the road and gives her a lift home. And the gypsy woman, you know, brings her to her, uh, what do you call like the psychic reading shop, the crystal ball shop. And she's like, oh, hey, I'm going to give you a, she's like, I don't have any money to give you. What do you want? And she's like, no, I don't want anything really. It's no problem. I would hope that you would do the same for me. And the gypsy woman is kind of like, you know, a grandmotherly type where, you know, the the cliche of when you go to grandma's, they're always trying to feed you. Mm, okay. Well, this, so this, they have a good relationship. Right. Well, this gypsy woman is like, no, no, let me give you something. Let me give you something. And she's like, let me give you a Cupid curse, basically. Ooh, where she takes a love curse. A love curse. So she takes Christine's button and puts a curse on it with a Cupid spell. And, who, and the next person to touch the button will be the person that Christine marries, right? So then oh, the next shit. day... You got a good curse in yours. Yeah. Damn it. So then the next day at work, um, Christine is talking to Chloe, and there's like an accident and a bump, and guess who touches the button? Chloe touches the button. So now... Oh my God, Chloe and Christine? Chloe and Christine. So now Christine is... <gasps> enemies to lovers? Enemies to lovers. Christine is shit, freaking out. Because she's like, she's never thought about being with a woman before, but now, and, and, and Chloe is her rival, but now things start to get weird. And I really wanted to like bring out those small moments, like, you know, in, um, in Drag Me to Hell, there's the moments of like the shadow coming or the, the noises coming up the stairs and then the shadow of the hooves and then reaching underneath the door and like really drawing out the tension of these small minor things. Like I want the tension of Chloe putting her hand on Christine's back as they look over a computer screen oh. 
to be like, yes. I really want to draw out that moment. Yes. Oh, and um, I would add an elevator scene, close proximity yes. elevator scene, maybe uh, a makeout. A yep, a caught in the rain scene <sighs> where they're caught in the rain and they have to like change in a public changing room kind of thing. And so they have to like strip down to their to their unmentionables and then maybe a hotel they have to go on a business trip together and they're in a hotel room but they're the hotel had a mix-up and there's only one room one bed one bed um you know maybe like they meet the parents uh christine meets chloe's parents through some wacky thing of like crazy events uh, but ultimately, there's a big meeting, and right before the, be- the big meeting, Christine kisses Chloe, and Chloe's like, whoa, where did this come from? And Christine sort of is ashamed and runs off and skips the meeting and all that stuff. The big meeting. The big meeting. Oh. So then the next day, Christine shows up at work, and she's fired. She's quote-unquote fired, and Chloe gets the job at the big business meeting, so Christine's super depressed. She goes home, but then when she gets home, she sees like a grand piano waiting for her. Oh. And then Chloe, because Chloe's from the Rich family, right? And we'll establish that. And so then Chloe is like, I got you a piano. And, you know, it's all cute. And we'll establish piano stuff earlier in the movie. Um, <laughs> Well-established piano stuff. Right. And then it, this kind of like cuts to, kind of like Penelope, where it'll cut to something else. And um, and then they're getting married, and we cut to their wedding. And then it's, you know, Christine playing the piano as Chloe sits on the piano singing. And, like, they're singing at their own wedding, being all cutesy. And then it's, like, the end. I have the biggest smile on my (laughs) face because I love your rom-com remix so much. And I'm so jealous. Mine isn't nearly as good or as fun as yours. It's when you stay a little vague, you can you can get away with a little bit more. You have so much that I love: office romance, yep. uh, enemies to lovers. Yep. Oh yeah, and like a, I mean, happy ending, uh, yep. close proximity. Yeah, it's just like it's just the greatest hits, basically. For sure. Um, um, but that's what Drag Me to Hell is, too. Great, Drag Me to Hell is, like, the greatest hits Like, that of, parking lot scene, right. it's like, who hasn't seen a horror movie right. where there's a parking lot scene with the killers, like, always, with the killers in the, the back always seat, in the backseat. Right? Like, always in the backseat. And it's like, you know. But then drawing know. out that tension of, like, putting the car in drive and putting the seatbelt on and, like, I want to, like, make those small moments big moments in this movie. And I thought the best way to do that was to have, like, a lesbian-ish relationship where it's, like... I like that you changed Clay into Chloe. Yeah, where it's kind of, like... correction. It's kind of, like, you know, she's attracted to this woman, but it's, like, is she really attracted to her or is it the curse? And, like, you don't know if the curse is real or not. Maybe that's part of the conflict where she doesn't actually know if Chloe's if in Chloe, love with her. Right, she doesn't curse. know if Chloe likes her or not, and she thinks it's the curse, but the more she starts to believe the curse, the more she starts to fall for Chloe. And, also, and I, I envision Chloe being, you know who Eva Green is? Oh my god! Uh, yeah. yeah, I have a huge I, crush on uh, Eva Green. I love that you mentioned uh, her because 
when you said Anna Kendrick right. for uh, Christine, I was like, well, what cool right. female who's just like a stone cold fox? Because like you have oh, to yeah. imagine, and Eva Green is so intimidating yeah, and, she's and the confident and... Of, of Anna Kendrick yeah. and temperament. But yep. then like as a lesbian couple, I I I see it. I see oh, yeah. it. I I totally see it. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> I I would I would let Eva Green be my girlfriend if she was into me like that. She might be, you know, the friends, the friends list, the exception list. Oh, the exception list? Yeah, how many is it? Five? I think Eva Green might be on my list. Yeah, yeah, no, I I mean, like, I, I, you know, I'm generally like, it's like, whoever I'm into, I'm, I'm into for, historically, that's always been dudes, but like, if Eva Green presented that opportunity, hmm, um, so yeah, I might, I might put her on my list for that reason. You know, just to throw some love to the guys, uh, you know what? I've been watching Cheers recently. I would fucks with Ted Danson. Ted Danson, man. He still looks hot. Oh my God. I've been watching Cheers and then did you see the, him in a the good new place? Curb, the new oh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Curb. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I, I did see him in good place. Yes. But just like, oof, I got a total man crush on Ted Danson. Yeah. Uh, wait, so what did you call uh, the movie? Oh, I didn't think of one. I was thinking of like, yeah. I mean, I know just, I was thinking Just Married, but I know that that's already a movie title. Yes. But I wanted that sort of like, you know, when we cut to the wedding and they're singing at their own wedding and mm. then we can have like a car driving away that says Just Married. I want to have that title card be like in your face, but like the happier version of, of Drag Me to Hell. So it's like. I like that. You know? I like that a yeah. lot. Oh God! I'm so I'm so mad at myself. I'm so jealous. <laughs> no, mine mine is not nearly as as fun. Um, I called mine "Drag Me to Heaven." All right, all right. <laughs> so Marie Christine is a well is well known in her rural town as the pork queen because she's gifted at raising pigs and throwing hog roasts. But she feels suffocated and pigeonholed by her reputation. She's also, you know, abused by her alcoholic mother who just wants to profit off of the pork queen reputation. So she decides to run away and make a new life for herself on the West Coast. Two years later, she's changed her name to Christine, so no more Marie. Gotcha. Um, She's lost some weight. She's working on shedding her country accent. She's got a nice California boyfriend, Clay, and a stable job at the bank, yada, yada, yada. Everything's great on paper, but Christine, she's not really happy. What seems like success superficially is just a parade of shame that she can't seem to realize. Her boss and co-worker, they treat her with disdain. And ask for no mayo. Uh, yeah, no, sure, no mayo. No, like, you did fucking not. Stew. <laughs> fucking stew. She overhears her boyfriend talking to her, his mom, and she's like, oh, you still dating the farm girl? Yeah. She looks in a bakery window that flaunts its offerings to her. Um, so by the time she gets back to work, she's in a mood. Um, Women. <laughs> life has beaten Christine down. Um, she's been through a lot. In this version, I'm willing to defend her. Sure. Um, and I mean, in general, like, she is a victim of shame. Um, so she refuses to extend the mortgage of this little lady, Mrs. Ganush, and Ganush causes a scene, and Christine's just feeling even more shame. So everybody tells her she did the right thing, but 
deep down, she knows she could have made a different choice. And that night, Christine wakes up in bed and she sees the ghostly specter of Mrs. Ganush sitting across from her. Mrs. Ganush tells Christine that her assholery, as I wrote in my pitch, <laughs> caused Ganush to have a heart attack and die. Uh, and now Mrs. Ganush is only going to pass over after she truly forgives Christine for what she did. And at first, Christine's like, this isn't really happening. I'm crazy. So we get some comedy from her trying to ignore Mrs. Ganush while Mrs. Ganush is just scene chewing. Like, I, I could have done with, like, right. a million more minutes of Mrs. Ganush oh, just yeah. throwing up and doing everything. <laughs> um, but uh, f- during work, Mrs. Ganush possesses Christine. She causes a ridiculous scene. She sprays nose blood yeah. at Mr. Jacks and makes Christine leave for the day. Um, and so then now Christine's bought into it. She's like, what do I have to do, lady? So Christine drives to Mrs. Ganush's grandson's ranch. I merged the characters of the granddaughter and Ram Joss. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's her grandson's name is Ram, whether or not that's a gypsy name or not. Um, so, uh, Christine, she gets to the ranch and she's kind of feeling like nostalgic for the good old days of being on the farm. And she's like country life. She kind of misses it. She spots Rom. He's in the process of breaking a wild horse because that's what he does for a living. And super sexy. Super sexy. He is away with animals. He's not violent. He's gentle. He's gentle. He knows how to tame a wild horse with gentlemen, gentleness and great smoldering eye contact. What you have to do is you have to have uh, Clay have like a puppy at home who he's trying to house train. And he's like really strict and stern and mean with the puppy. Uh So that when Rom is kind to the horse... Because oh, Clay is such a Bellamy in this one, right, yeah, you right, gotta. Right. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I agree with you. <laughs> I think that that would be perfect. But yeah, so they're having this whole like hot meet cute. Oh yeah. He he gets thrown off the horse, and Christine goes to him, and um. But after Christine explains why she's there, and she reveals herself as the evil lady who denied his grandmother a mortgage extension, now there's no more flirties. He's like, I hate this bitch. Um, and then Christine explains that she does really want to make things better. Um, and then after accidentally brushing hands with Rom, he realizes the truth that she's being haunted by his grandmother. And so they figure something out. She's going to provide help to Rom and the Ganush family on the mm-hmm. ranch until Mrs. Ganush forgives her. Um, so Christine kind of starts living a double life. She's, you know, trying to juggle her growing affection for Rom and the Ganush family against her shame and her expectations for herself, you know. Mm -hmm. She's trying to choose between the life that she's starting to desire and the life she's told herself she should want. Right. And I I just wrote some ideas for intimate scenes on the farm, like maybe she helps him deliver a baby horse and it's really cute and, and like... They're like doing it together and more, more skinship. Um, or he reads her palm and he remarks on her long marriage and love lines. Ooh, I like um, it. And they get turned on by touching and ooh, maybe they get really dirty and then yep. they make out in that outdoor shower. 
Um, but yeah, lots of stuff. And then finally, over this time period, Mrs. Ganish is ready to grant Christine her forgiveness. But by now, they've been like hanging out together and palling around. And maybe Mrs. Ganish has given Christine some words of wisdom about how to, mm-hmm. you know, make things work with her grandson. I'm going to assume for all the intimate scenes that Mrs. Ganish, the ghost, was not directly right. haunting those moments even mm-hmm. though she was technically still on the plane <laughs> um but um she doesn't want mrs ganish to leave you know it's a real tender-hearted scene and then mrs ganish leaves with some love wisdom that will definitely cut into the trailer of the movie mm-hmm. um and then she assures christine that she thinks she'll do the right thing and then i wrote that christine and rom get into a fight because it's at that point in the movie yeah. I don't know what conflict it is, but there's going to be a great misunderstanding. And it gets us to the final scene where we've got Clay proposing to Christine at Union Station. But then she dumps him and she runs slash drives to the ranch where she and Rom kiss and make up and boom, happily ever after. For sure. Yeah, I like it. Uh, Yeah, you took a lot of the elements of Drag Me to Hell and made them fit as a rom-com it's like a what if like one of those marvel what if stories oh yeah i love i love those marvel alternate universe stories or like uh when they turn like batman into a noir detective or um uh uh, i read a really great uh, marvel speculative book that was like what if Superman landed in communist Russia? Oh yeah, it's really. I don't. Really I've never cool. read it, but I know of it. Yeah, it's, I heard it's, it's really good. It's super cool. Yeah. It's super cool. Um, um, but yeah, I still I like if I had to vote though, which movie I'd want to make? <laughs> I want to see Chloe and Christine. Chloe and Christine. I, I love the just married. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Nice movies. I like. I think a lot of movies that I like kind of take that sort of like gimmick mm-hmm. of another movie and just go like, "What if we did this movie, but this genre?" You yeah. know, like uh, Groundhog's Day is a great example. Like, what if we did Groundhog's Day, but as a Tom Cruise action sci-fi blockbuster? Okay, yeah. Edge of Tomorrow, or what if we did a, a Groundhog Day, but it was a slasher flick? Okay. Uh, Happy Death Day, you know what I mean? Like or all doll, those movies. Or Russian are Doll is crazy, like, yeah. what if we did Groundhog Day, but it's a chick, and it's right. like, yeah, no, you're right. Like that, like some scenarios just lend themselves to any right. genre, and that's you know, you hit on precisely the reason why I purposefully excluded Groundhog Day from curses because I feel right. like Groundhog right, Day right. is its own category. For sure, we'll definitely have to do that yeah. at some point. All right, very nice. So, love bites. Love bites. What you, you got? Um, I got, I'm wearing my Proto Men shirt. Ooh. For those who don't know, I'm not a big concert goer. I'm, I hate going to concerts, man. It's You just got to stand there and listen to music, and there's so many people around. The drinks are expensive. Ugh, yeah, and standing. Why do you have to stand? I'm a concert sitter. I know that's probably sacrilegious to a lot of people who are concert fans, but I would much rather sit at a concert. Like if I go see The Dark Knight, I wanna, I wanna sit during, while I enjoy the movie. You know what I mean? They don't make you stand when you watch movies. But one of my favorite bands is called Proto Men, and what they do is they do Mega Man rock operas. 
And so they have two albums that are Mega Man rock operas, and then they have two albums that are cover songs, one a Queen cover album and one of like an 80s songs cover album. But their Mega Man rock operas are totally badass. So if you're into Mega Man and you're into awesome rock music... Mega Man has great themes. Oh, yeah. And they use some of that in their in their stuff. But um, Do they add lyrics? Oh, yeah. The whole lyric is very narrative-based. Is it about Mega Man? It's about Proto-Man has to fight... The, the story of Act 1 is Proto-Man has to defeat Dr. Wily, but Proto-Man is defeated, and so all the people turn their back on Proto-Man... And then Dr. Light creates Mega Man, who is essentially Proto-Man's younger brother. And he creates Mega Man not to fight, but just to be a brother, just to be a, a young little boy. But Mega Man's like, no, I have to finish what my brother started. I'll save humanity. And then he ends up fighting. Like the whole thing is you think Proto-Man's dead, but then Proto-Man's not dead. He's really alive. But guess what? Now he's a bad guy. And so the whole thing is like the cool, my favorite track in the whole thing is when Proto-Man and Mega Man fight. Because oh, because they're brothers and now they have to fight. They're brother. That again, that's like catnip. It's like Metal Gear. Metal Gear. Like the two the brothers. Enemy is really his brother. <laughs> and so it's like Mega Man wants to finish what the good Proto Man started and save humanity, but Proto Man is so distraught by the fact that man turned their back on him that he wants to punish mankind. So he wants to stop Mega Man from saving the people. Because if they really wanted to be saved. They'd fight for it themselves. So it's really like uh, rock anthem, power rock, like I stuff. I enjoy and that. So I, yeah, uh, YouTube it, Proto Men, Act 1. Act 2 is a prequel, and it's all about the love triangle between Dr. Light and Dr. Wiley and this other girl, and they create a robot, and it's like the prequel. But Interesting. Yeah, it's so great, man. Proto Men. It's really kind of like... I don't know. I don't want to say operatic, but I don't know the musical term for it. But it's very bombastic. That's super original, though. Yeah, it's I very eclectic. Like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. So Proto Men, we just saw them live, and they put on a great show. Good to know. Yeah. Unlike you, I, I do enjoy a good live show. Right. Although I like complaining about the things I don't like. For like sure. Like people holding up cell phones. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, you get a picture or two. And then you put your phone away. Right. You right. you enjoy the show. Right. The band comes out, you snap a pic, then you enjoy the show. Right. Yeah. So I can't wait to hear your love okay. bite. Okay. So two love bites, uh, one of the horror variety, one of the romance. For okay. the horror variety, when I was watching Penelope, I got to say that doing this podcast has really changed the way that I watch some of these movies. Because I'm looking at Penelope and I'm like, hmm, what horror movie does this romance remind me of? Right. Uh, and the one that immediately came to mind was a particular Masters of Horror episode directed okay. by one of your favorite directors. Can you guess who it is? John Carpenter? No, it's... Uh, Dario Argento. Ooh. The Dario Argento episode of Masters of Horror. I don't know if he did multiple, but this particular episode is called Jennifer. Okay. And the plot is similar to my remix <laughs> in that a man, um, a lawman, stumbles upon a scene where he sees this guy. He's about to murder this female, and so he stops it and he saves her. And she turns around and reveals 
that she has a monster face, but a mm. real hot bod. Um, and he thinks her name is Jennifer because that's what the guy was saying. Okay. And so, you know, interesting things ensue with Jennifer, the monster, who is still somehow attractive. But I, I feel like you leave it to an Italian like Dario Argento yeah. to, to do a, a really interesting story about the monstrous feminine Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he does a really good job in Jennifer. So really, the the greatest horror version of Penelope was already made. Sure. Um, so yeah, I would recommend Jennifer. And then on the romance side, I have been reading a book called Sword Heart by T. Kingfisher. And I mentioned earlier during your Penelope remix that I love a medieval yeah. fantasy. And Sword Heart features a curse in a medieval fantasy and the plot is uh the heroine is a widow in her 30s her mid 30s i'm i'm sorry i just need to emphasize how (laughs) awesome it is to read or watch any story that features a character that's not in their 20s or a teenager you wouldn't believe how rare this feels but she's a widow she's in her mid 30s She's just received an inheritance and her greedy in-laws are trying to keep it from her. And then she finds this artifact, a sword, and when she pulls the sword out, a warrior appears. And so inside the sword, a man was cursed to live immortally and serve whoever wields the sword. And so he's... Originally, he was in his 40s before he was cursed, but but it's about them and their journey together. And so he's a servant of the sword and he's not really like technically human. Right. But then as they go on their journey, it has another one of my catnips, which is road trips. So as they go on their medieval journey caper, they start to fall for each other. And um, the book has like a very almost princess bride satirical tone to it. So, I mean, it's like... If you love a comedic medieval fantasy with curses and heroes that are over 30, it's wonderful. I, I love everything about it. Very and nice. I that sounds it. like a, like, I can't wait for the movie version. Oh, the movie? <laughs> I, they should make a movie version. Yeah. But I will murder someone if they age down the characters. Oh, sure. Because it's just like, I think that's one of the great things about it is like, Here's a couple who, you know, they've been around. They, right. you know, they know what's what. Yeah. And they have a more mature. And mid thirties is old for medieval times. And for movies. <laughs> for movies too, yeah. Very nice. All right. Well, All until right. next time. <laughs> good day. <laughs> Bye. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.